Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast where two friends stopped arguing about movies and started working through them together. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. As we said at the end of last episode, we're calling this our gap year, the year we watch movies that have been on our watch lists. We're kicking things off with Sicario, the 2015 action drama directed by Denis Villeneuve. Joining Villeneuve behind the scenes are some of our favorites, like cinematographer Roger Deakins and screenwriter Taylor Sheridan. Add to that a stacked cast including Emily Blunt, Daniel Kaluuya, Josh Brolin, and Benicio Del Toro, and we aren't really sure why neither of us have seen it. Sicario was well-received by critics, but wasn't a huge hit with audiences, earning just over $46 million. Given the political climate of 2015, a common complaint about the movie upon its premiere at Cannes Film Festival was that the depiction of violence, corruption, and drugs seemed like a possible demonization of Mexico, which might be why audiences and the two of us stayed away. Regardless, Sicario earned three Oscar nominations and has established itself as an overlooked, underappreciated film. So what have we been missing out on by not watching Sicario? And now that we've seen it, can we survive in this land of wolves? Keep listening. State Department is pulling an agent from the field that specializes in responding to escalated cartel activity. You'll be part of the team. You meet up with him at Luke uh, tomorrow? Day after. Early. Air Force Base? Yeah, we're going to go see Guillermo. Diaz's brother. That's the one. Where is he? Uh, he's in the uh, El Paso area. What's our objective? dramatically overreact okay all right so that there is uh basically the plot of the movie yeah kind of I it's, mean, the, it's, it's the setup it's for the, the looping in of emily blunt although we soon find out that she has not actually been looped in that's true yes uh, but that's that's sort of the uh, setup for the movie yeah it's and the ostensible plot yes so that was uh, fbi agent kate macer as played by emily blunt being told about this new mission to see uh, if she wants to join it, it's an interagency mission. Mm-hmm. And in that room was Matt Graver, played by Josh Brolin, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of plays this uh, mystery leader of this new interagency operation. Yeah. Um, he's a DOD, Department of Defense consultant. Yeah. But is he? But not able to be seen through the podcast is the sandals that he's wearing. Yeah, he's the wearing flip-flops. sandals. Yeah. The flip-flops. Everybody else is very protocol and yeah. Yeah professional not, not him business casual not even business, not even casual. business casual. Just casual just casual yeah but yeah that is from the movie sicario which we're discussing today yeah. uh, one of our gap our first gap year mm-hmm. uh movie for this gap year project we're kicking off this is a movie that i at least have wanted to watch for a long time mostly because of just who's involved in this thing yeah i had forgotten about everybody involved i had forgotten about this movie like i would see it here and there and it would be on lists of you know underrated or yeah you know right i don't know i just never really felt like seeing it yeah. all, all that much and i wanted to see it when it was out and then it was just one of those that it just kept falling by the wayside mm-hmm. and actually as all these people involved would go on to do different things i kept thinking like i really should go back and watch sicario because yeah. i did keep hearing things about it you know like 
when Denis Villeneuve was when when Dune was coming out, mm-hmm. you know, I would they were talking about a lot of his movies, and they would talk about Sicario. And mm-hmm. then as Yellowstone was really picking up, I would keep hearing, you know, as they were doing interviews with Taylor Sheridan, and this is his first screenplay, his first writing credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denis Villeneuve was not nearly as established uh, by the time he did Mm-mm. Sicario. So it's kind of like catching these guys who are really. I mean, you talk about a movie like Dune mm-hmm. and a show like Yellowstone. They're kind of the most sort of mainstream popular things happening within TV or movies right, right now. <laughs> and then they did something together seven years ago, yes. eight years ago. And then you look at the cast and who's involved in this. And it's, right. you know, Emily Blunt and Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro and Daniel Kaluuya, who yeah. isn't, doesn't even have like a credit on like, yeah, he's not, on, on he's like not, the poster yeah. on like, on like the yeah. DVD, if you get it. What do they call that? That's got a name anyway. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't even know he was in this movie. No, until I, I started watching it. I think I, I think I, once I started watching it, I was like, oh yeah, I, I do remember that he was in it. I had no clue. But this was even um, pre Get Out. Get Out. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, John Bernthal uh, shows yeah, up. Right. But you see, it's just, uh, yeah, you, you sent me the text saying, well, what about Sicario? And I was like, oh, okay. And then you were like, Roger Deakins, Taylor Sheridan, like, like the, the cast. And uh, I, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, let's, then, let's watch this. and then also that it was really well reviewed in its time. Very as, well reviewed. As, yeah. as just a good thriller. Mm-hmm. We both liked Heller Highwater. I think you loved Heller Highwater. I loved it. Love that movie. That was one of my favorites of the decade. Mm-hmm. You know. And so, yeah, for you, Taylor Sheridan, right. Why not watch it? I, yeah. I have a, I had like a vague memory of uh, the film spotting guys reviewing it back mm-hmm. in its back when it had come out. And I think they were both pretty, I, I don't know. Don't quote me on this. I think they were both pretty positive on it. And, uh, you know, I, I remember even then being like, oh, that, that doesn't sound like, a, that sounds like my movie. It sounds yeah. like my kind of movie. <laughs> and um, yeah, just never got to it. Yeah. So we're going to fill in well, that we gap. We got to it. We got to it today. We got to it. Yeah. So um, I guess. Do you have a star rating, a, a gut reaction star I, rating? I do. And I don't mind sharing that first, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I really like this movie. I haven't gone on Letterboxd yet. I'm, I would probably give it a four star. That could be some, uh, you know, recency bias a little bit. I, I, Positive it, or it, negative? Po- like, I feel like it could, it may be more of like a three and a half star movie. But mm. like, I, I feel like personally, like right now after just seeing it, I, I would probably give this about four stars. To me, this is like a really solid, really good political thriller mm-hmm. that does have some 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 good meat to it and just piece by piece it's really well done yeah um does it arise to like greatness mm-hmm. um I, I don't know yeah um but there are some sequences in it yeah. that i think are absolutely phenomenal yes like you should see this movie for these like two, three sequences alone. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the, the cast is amazing and they all do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for those reasons, I would give it a four. We can get into maybe where I'm a little hesitant on that, where I kind of feel like maybe as the movie goes on, it loses a little steam. Um, but maybe as we talk, if we get into like maybe what the movie's trying to do, mm-hmm. I could see myself uh, keeping it exactly where it's at or maybe yeah. even going a different direction. Well, uh, how about you? How about you? Yeah, I'm there too. I, really? I, I okay. did four stars, but I was kind of thinking as I was thinking about it. I watched it, uh, yeah, a few days ago. I've been kind of sitting on it, and uh, I gave it four. I could see it going up, though. Oh, okay. Um, I don't see it going down, partly because like the gut four stars is like you said, just there are sequences 
and sequences mm. being like 15 minutes long, not oh like, my gosh, you know, yeah, like yeah. Sh- shots or, or a couple, you know, edits. It's like just really masterful that yeah. if it were just for those, it, w- it would be like four star for me. I, f- I do feel though, like just with like Hell or High Water or with Yellowstone, I, I haven't seen it, but you've talked about it, uh, not on any episodes, uh, just as we hang out. Yeah. It feels like there are elements of Sicario that as I like unpack them, I could think like, oh, that's a that's a deeper idea than just like, oh, that's a super tense scene. You know, like the parts where it's it, it feels a little bit slower, I think, is where it's doing those things. So mm-hmm. if it's doing it well enough, yeah, like you said, it could it could rise uh, for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So we don't have to. We won't, we'll have to yeah, argue. We're not about arguing this one, on so this. That's one good. Now. I didn't know what you were going to think because honestly, I I think you were a lot more lukewarm on Hell or High Water than I was, which is fine. I've only seen it once, but yeah, I don't know about lukewarm. I just didn't love it like you did. Yeah. And a lot of people love Taylor Sheridan, but Taylor Sheridan kind of has a thing. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who also don't like Taylor Sheridan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, you know, maybe you haven't seen enough of him to kind of know where you land on that. I myself don't really quite know where I land on that because I have sort of fizzled a little bit as I kept watching Yellowstone. Okay. But then I look at something like Hell or High Water and I've watched that movie three, four times and I've been like, no, man, every time I watch that movie, I like it more. So, you know, he's got a point of view and this is a political thriller. So there's politics in here. Mm -hmm. It's not just supposed to be sort of an intense police drama. There's levels of politics in this Mm -hmm. and things being said about the war on drugs. Right. I would love to sit here with you and kind of unpack what he is saying about the war on drugs because this was a really entertaining movie to watch it was tense it was intense it was exactly what it it actually i think did what it set out to do but thematically what it's saying about those things i still haven't quite figured out what it's saying and where i fall in with that you know like whether i agree with taylor sheridan's interpretation of the war on drugs or even that i can really understand what he is saying about those things yeah well one thing, I I don't know if this is a starting point, but it's an observation I have. Um, with Hell or High Water and with Sicario, these are very America-focused screenplays. But he, I don't know, he chooses or he works with non-American directors in mm. both situations. That's true, yeah. Um, and then he directed and Wind, wrote Wind River. Wind River, yeah. And those are supposed to be considered kind of his frontier trilogy. Okay. You're talking about Denis Villeneuve with uh, yeah. this movie, and then Heller High Water was directed by David McKenzie, who's from Britain. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve is, uh, he's French-Canadian. Right. So, yeah. that's a- So, I feel like that comes through in Sicario, in that where your allegiance is is not clear. You know, like where you're supposed to be, aside from Emily Blunt. Yeah. But even so, her desire to be a part of it is questionable as yeah. far as what you think about her. Right. Well, and she's definitely playing the audience surrogate yeah. in this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. So if you, uh, if it's been a while since you've seen her, if you haven't seen it, the Emily Blunt, like we said at the beginning, she's an FBI agent. She's a hostage specialist. Right, and it's a SWAT team she's yeah. going into this And she, home they believe with. they're going in to find hostages. They find no hostages, but they find many dead bodies inside in the, the walls yeah. of this house. And then there's an explosion and some... Side note, 
great sequence. It is incredible, yeah. And it's not even maybe the best one in the movie, no. but it's great. And so she wants more than the job that she's currently in affords her, as far as she just feels like she's not making a difference. She is called in by this special task force. She says, I will come if Reggie, Daniel Kaluuya's character, can come. Um, and they they don't really want him there. They tell her she's going to El Paso. They end up taking her to Juarez. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything they told her about what she's doing there is a lie. Mm-hmm. And who they are is probably CIA. She she's just she realizes that things are not above board. Right. And they end up getting involved in the drug war in a way that she is wondering, are we actually fighting? To stop the drug war, or are we choosing a side in the drug war? Mm-hmm. Which, spoiler, yes, they That's are a, choosing a side yeah. in the drug war. Yeah, they really are just choosing sides in mm-hmm. this war. Somehow America is seeing that as the best tactic we can take at this point. But even why that is, is unclear. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem to necessarily be about reducing civilian loss or casualties. It seems like keeping the the violence of the drug war, not the drugs or anything, but just the violence of it, out of America's borders. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much said by Roland's character. You saw things you shouldn't have seen. What is Medellin? Medellin? Medellin refers to a time when one group controlled every aspect of the drug trade. Providing a measure of order that we could control. And until somebody finds a way to convince 20% of the population to stop snorting and smoking that shit, order's the best we can hope for. And what you saw up there was Alejandro working toward returning that order. Alejandro works for fucking Colombian cartel. He works for the competition. Alejandro works for anyone who will point him toward the people who made him. It's a classic ends justify the means. Yes, exactly. Even though typically you say that when you know that the the ends are an unequivocal moral good. Here, I mean, it's fairly clear that the ends aren't even themselves a moral good. It's just the devil you know. And this is where you know maybe I do end up raising my rating because I feel like there are moments where this is almost achieving Apocalypse Now level mm-hmm. like greatness. Right. It's that level of this land of wolves. Right. That's how Benicio Del Toro characterizes this as right. a land of wolves. But is that saying that's just the way it is? So what they've been doing justifies all that? I don't think the movie's saying that either. No. I think the movie is damning all sides yes. in this. Yes. America does not ever look like the hero no. in this movie. Uh-uh. If it does, it's that Emily Blunt and Daniel Kaluuya's characters are American. And they at least see right. that what's going on least, is effed up. Yeah. Like that, and, and it's not even that they have a way out or that what they do, like you don't begrudge her for signing that paper at the end. Right. <laughs> but like, that's the best you can do is that these individuals at least see that this is messed up. Yeah. But they're powerless. They right. are powerless people. The right. people who actually know that what we're doing is wrong are yeah. completely powerless to change 
any of it. Right. So it's a very. I mean, you could say cynical. It's a well, but yeah, you could say so, just realistic. <laughs> right. I wonder if some of what sits uneasily with the movie is how much it looks like, or the story is reminiscent of other types of stories we've seen where the hero does have some sort of climactic moral victory. Right. And especially making it a female lead where you would be like, oh, a strong, powerful woman who can like come in and she's as good tactically as the men, but her moral strength gives her this edge and she is able to like do the right thing. And then it's just, no, it is so much bigger than anybody, especially one FBI agent. (laughs) There's no way. She's just being used. Yeah. That's it. She doesn't even have a real role to play in this, right. other than just being FBI. If anything, we need you to be on here so that the CIA has an excuse. Because they had a law enforcement official with them, they can do. Yeah. Um, they have jurisdiction, right? And you don't even get like the payoff of like, say, Jodie Foster's character in Silence of the Lambs, or at least she solves a mystery, right? You know. <laughs> and yeah, it's really hairy at the end of that movie. Yeah, but like. She ends she up at least okay, gets Buffalo and Bill. she like, gets Buffalo Bill, and she figures that out. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get that kind of payoff in this movie. What no. she figures out, her big revelation is that she was just being used the whole time, and she can't and there's do nothing anything. you can do with that. She can't do anything, yeah. or she could choose to die. She even says, like she she tries to take the high road and saying, "I'm going to tell everybody about this." Right, and then you kind of realize pretty quickly watching the movie, and you've been in, in this world long enough to be like, "Yeah, that ain't going to go well." No. Who would she tell? <laughs> what are you going to do? All the people that we've seen be her superiors were in on this. Like, no, no about right. it, right? Um, I guess uh, the studio fought pretty hard to make Kate a male role, mm. and um, Sheridan and Villeneuve said absolutely not. Um, and what, what what do you think is the effect of having the lead be a woman? I think it helps just practically with the plot where it's it is very believable that a character like Josh Brolin, that Mark Graver character, what's he looking for? He's just looking for somebody who he can push around. He can push around. Mm-hmm. That a character like that would look at Emily Blunt's character and say, Yep, yeah, that's that's the yep. person for this job. Mm-hmm. You know, by having it be a woman and by having her partner be black and having them be who they choose. They, these, this is who they seek out to sort of play these patsy roles. Mm-hmm. That says a lot about those power structures and the patriarchy embedded in those. That's one thing. The, the second thing is, um, well, I don't know about, I mean, if you just look at Emily Blunt's performance. Unbelievable. It sells itself yeah. as someone who, you know, because you think about, let's, let's go back to even Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs. In that episode, we talked a lot about all the stuff she would have had to just overcome to get to her position. Right. So by having a woman in a similar position in this movie, you've got someone who you can kind of tell has already had to work very hard to rise to where she's at, but also has to be someone who um, can think for themselves and knows sort of for themselves what right and wrong is. Yeah. And this is someone who is strong because of the position they're in as a woman. Yeah. And the only woman. I mean, she's the only woman on that SWAT team. Right. Uh, in all of the different interagency missions, she's the only woman as far as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she might be the only woman in the entire movie, except for the cop's wife, the Mexican cop's wife, for like a second. Yeah, you might be right. 
it also does add to the tension because she's so alone already. Right. When things start going crazy, it's it just is another way of saying she's really got nobody to turn to except for her partner. Yeah. Reggie. Um, I don't know. What do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on, no, on I, why, I, why I, it's important to cast a woman in that role? I think everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think they don't show it, but you, I think we understand given the way law enforcement and military and everything works for a woman to rise to those ranks, she would have to be way better than yeah. anybody else or play the game. And we see that she doesn't play the game, right? She spots the game. You know, and the discrimination. Like, one of the first things Josh Brolin's character asks her is, are you married? Do you have any kids? You know, yeah, like, yeah, asking yeah. these these questions that you would not expect them to ask of They're a male. Like, yeah. Right. Um, and she clearly... She sees it. And, and doesn't back down, you know? Like, she's her answers are not demure, you know? It sets up her realization that she is irrelevant to be more devastating. Mm, um, yeah. You, you know, she could usually spot that sort of stuff and at least overcome it or, or survive it. And then she just realizes, Oh, I'm not, I'm not surviving any of this. And that the, the more you do know, it's not going to make things any more clear. It's just going to make you more depressed yeah, about and isolated. Yes. And, and and yeah, and she she like throughout the movie loses weight, begins smoking again. Like it, it like it takes its toll on her. I don't know exactly what to make of the scene with John Bernthal. So this is if you haven't seen it yeah. for a while, this is a scene where she's well. It starts with she's at a bar. She's just hanging yeah, out. Reggie takes her to a bar and introduces her to an old a colleague or something. Yeah, played um, by John Bernthal, who's a cop. And it turns out he's corrupt, and she recognizes that. And they struggle, and he almost kills her right. before Benicio del Toro comes in and saves her. Right. Now, what I read was that the whole John Bernthal thing wasn't actually in the screenplay. Hmm. John Bernthal had maybe, I think he maybe tried out for a different role or something like that. And Denis Villeneuve loved him so much and wanted him in the movie so much hmm. that he kind of wrote this in. But he also did feel that that played an important part in the plot. Yeah. Um, you know? Well, I agree. It For one thing, it. It does. It goes a long way to establishing why Kate would go along with Alejandro. Alejandro is the Benicio, Benicio del Toro, del Toro character, character yeah. who's this mysterious. We find out later he's the Colombian cartel representative. Um, her BS meter should be going off and has been going off with this guy. Right. Um, and if there wasn't that moment where he did that, you would kind of feel like, well, what? why would she ever trust him for anything right. right like there's that character development aspect of it how are you feeling better uh, well you should have shot him i just tried to have sex with my head man uh, he's no assassin he just wanted to know what you know. They're after us, not you. Thank you.
You remind me of someone very special to me. I don't know. Like, part of me is, like, always skeptical and should probably be more skeptical of any time that violence against a woman is used as a plot device like that. Um, Did she have to, you know, experience dating violence and almost die for that connection to be made? But what I think it adds is why in the end she would give up because it's an early example of how she cannot be in control, right? Like how there are a lot of things structurally that she should have been able to come out ahead in that situation. He was just a police officer. She was an FBI agent. He was caught red handed in corruption. She is a good fighter, you know, like she's capable with weapons and everything. But with all that, a man determined to protect his corruption could still overpower and even kill her. I think there's that scene and there's a parallel to it with Mark Graver in that Mm -hmm. tunnel scene. Right. When she really realizes after that tunnel scene who Alejandro is, Mm -hmm. and she's saying, I'm going to go tell everyone. Yeah. You have a very similar scene where Josh Brolin kind of pushes her down. Yeah. Because she punches him. She punches him. Yeah. But then he uses his strength to push her down, and it's the same thing that yeah. the John Bernthal character does, where they keep they keep disguising it as them helping her, yeah. kind of saying like, "Stop, stop, yeah, yeah, stop! Right. You stop it, stop! Yeah, you stop. you're the one who's doing something. Like the fact that you're fighting it, me back makes me have to it, do this. It was yeah. like eerie how similar those yep. performances were, yeah. and to me, it was a way of the movie driving home the nature of power. Yeah, in the most bestial sort of sense right. of like just abs- like actual physical strength mm-hmm. dominating someone when it's threatened yeah not not in the not in the sort of like uh <laughs> uh nation state level but mm-hmm. there's a sort of analogy to that too right where america is sometimes kind of like that yes where it's kind of like these other countries when they start getting too smart mm-hmm. when they start getting too savvy yeah if we don't know what to do about it, what we're going to do is we're going to basically just yeah. take all of our military strength, yeah. our actual physical strength, right. and pin you down and tell you to stop. Yeah. And then we're going to keep doing it until you stop. For your own good. For your like, own quote good. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, have, I, there's, there is one idea. And yes. It is devastating and depressing that that idea works to, uh, you know, works to maintain control the way it does like the oppressive control and because it's so um aware of those structural imbalances with reggie being a black character you also know oh he's he's limited in his influence too you know she they are alone and she is alone like even if reggie tried to step in and help that's not gonna happen I, i keep going back to and this is really important i think for this movie it is very apparent that both reggie and kate they are not weak. No. They are strong characters, but they are just powerless. Yep. You're just trapped. You're trapped and you're powerless. Yeah. Where, where the movie could pin this in one personality type or in one experience, it's bringing in, by bringing in uh, Kate as a woman, Reggie as a, a black man, Victor Garber as a not military, like not like a grunt. Um it's showing the totality of it. If Kate were a male character, like the movie would be sort of telling a story, one example of of corruption. Right. Even if the, the same arc, 
that he found himself to be irrelevant and powerless, it would feel, and this is speculative, but uh, like it was one example of a rogue consultant, but by situating it within other power imbalances, it's taking this very specific example and saying it all empowers that sort of behavior. And whether it's one man and one woman in an apartment, or it's one superior and one uh, person underneath them on a project or on a mission, or it's one nation to another nation, this is all the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is where I feel like I start to kind of pull in parallels with something like Apocalypse Now, Mm -hmm. which does that also very well. It can bring it down to the character level, but that character level interaction is saying a lot about all of human nature right. and also systemic things about human, how human nature overflows into actual political action. Right. And you've got this character like Emily Blunt, who's on the ground seeing what's happening and saying, this is just really messed up. Yeah. And I think where apocalypse now had an easier job is they were talking about Vietnam. Right. 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 In 1979. Right. <laughs> like where during Vietnam, it was a toss-up as to whether right, this was morally right. correct. By 1979, obviously. Right. Oh, what a radical stance. Yeah, Vietnam. like, great job. This <laughs> is... Now's amazing, by the way. It is, yeah. <laughs> but, like, as far as, as far as bravery of a viewpoint... Sure. I feel like Sicario is stronger in that there are a lot of people, a lot of people, who would not question the war on drugs. And it's not like they don't know about disproportionate punishments, violence, arrests, all that sort of thing, they buy the message that the ends justify the means. Right. And this movie is really saying, like, no, we really need to think about the means, like, a lot. Yeah. And what the purported ends are versus the actual ends. Right. I, I think some of that complexity that they're, they're shooting for, and I want to think about I want to talk for a second about whether or not that's uh, effective is with the police officer character from Mexico. I, I think his name's Silvio. He's got like, we see snippets of his life where his son wakes him up yep. every morning. He's an alcoholic, like, but like under the table sort of alcoholic. He's living his life okay. For a long time, we really don't know why we're seeing this right. guy. And yeah. it doesn't really make sense until near the very end when we see that he is a corrupt police officer who's running drugs for the cartel. And I feel like it's going beyond just humanizing someone who might be vilified. Oh, the police in Mexico are corrupt. Okay, well, that's super simple to say. Let's think about what that looks like and why a police officer might feel like that was their only option. Right. I I kind of feel like that's a bigger thing to explore than what the, how they do it. Yeah. It feels a little shoehorned in a little bit. Yeah. But it is also how they end the movie. Like they end the movie with that guy's family. Right. And hearing gunshots in the distance. Right. Just to kind of it's it's now that you mention it that is kind of interesting that like if you didn't have John Bernthal character, you could kind of see police corruption, like police, actually policia, like the police yeah. department, 
and their intertwining with the drug yeah. trade as a strictly Mexican thing. Mexican problem, right. It doesn't make America or American policing look any better right. to have a guy who doesn't seem to have any of those family right. hang-ups or anything right. and just is sort of like, well, I just want the money or right. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and is just as tied up in the trade of drugs, yeah. you know, so like, as a police officer. The corruption is not equal either. But to your point, for a movie that is in every other way so tight, it did seem like these tangents almost mm-hmm. where I was like, what is, where is, where is this going? What does this have to do with anything? And then mm-hmm. when I did find out, I don't know that the payoff was all there. Uh, yeah. You know? Because strangely, they spent too much time on it and not enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at the same time, I guess like part of what they're saying, and I think by, by ending the movie with his widow and son is sort of saying that like there are people we're forgetting about here right and the view of america as mexico is where the drug cartel is is really limited and damaging and the kids playing soccer and the fam the 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 people watching the game hearing explosions and gunfire and just carrying on is sort of like the the life that they have gotten used to is unconscionable Mm -hmm. for people to consider bringing more violence and especially because their point in mexico was not to eliminate anything it was to make it so that they had so much war where they were that they couldn't either be effective in bringing drugs into the united states or bring the violence to the united states and apparently the sacrifice they're willing to make is the safety of everyone in mexico right everyone in juarez at least right yeah Whereas then, yeah, John Bernthal didn't need it to survive. He just needed it for the extra cash. Right. And like, <laughs> right. how are you going to vilify a police officer who says, in order to keep my job so that I can support my family, even on, you know, in fairly meager means, I'm going to do this thing versus a guy who has nothing to lose and only has financial gain. Read. Right. Yeah. This is like the wire by way of Tony Scott. Kind it of. It feels like. Yeah. By the way, if you want to see John Bernthal play another corrupt police officer, uh, We Own This City, the miniseries mm-hmm. on HBO, is absolutely incredible. Uh, might be a real downer of a back-to-back with Sicario, but... Uh, There's some David Simon-esque yeah, things David happening Simon in this. David Simon wrote, you know. the, created the TV show based on the book called We Own This City about corruption and Baltimore policing, yeah. and he did The Wire. And I guess when I see movies about corruption whether or, or TV shows, whether it's The Wire or something like this, mm-hmm. what I wonder about what it's doing to me personally mm-hmm. is it's all very convincing to where I'm kind of like, that must just be how the world works and, mm-hmm. how, and how it actually is. Mm-hmm. Do I really know that? Yeah. You know, like... I have a hunch. I mean, we certainly see corruption all over the place. Of course, America has done some incredibly shady things, specifically with Latin America. We've right. got plenty of evidence of that. Right. You know, I just wonder if something like Sicario or even The Wire to some degree does feed a little bit into conspiracy thinking, mm. like where you just have this starting point of corruption exists because there's so much out of your control and sure. so much out of your field of reference. Yeah. Then someone makes a film and it's just like, take it from me. This is how it's happening. This is what's going on. Yeah. But like right now in this day, is this how the drug war is being fought? I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of taking Taylor Sheridan and Denis Villeneuve's word for it. Maybe a lot of this just is true, but I don't know. If this movie were basing this off of 
maybe not one news story, but a couple different news story. We're building a story. But I, I don't know if that's the case with this movie. I kind of get the yeah. sense that Taylor Sheridan just has an idea, yeah. like a vague sort of like instinct about things and is right. like, you know, trying to craft a really good thriller out of it and also say some things about the futility of the war on drugs, which I am all for yeah. saying something about that. Well, but what if it really is like this? Are you against saying it? that it is no 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 no. if it is yeah but i guess i just don't know if it is like do we have josh brolin like characters coming in and pulling agencies together and then throwing these missions to try to get our drug i mean i mean i obviously can't guarantee it but i guarantee it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> my concern one of my concerns is that the more this idea is shown that like essentially morals don't matter if it means we can have control or we're on the front foot is frankly what i'm i've I've seen and i wonder if the tenor of the movie would have changed if it came out post a trump election yeah because trump was really able to play on mm -hmm. what this movie presents yeah we have to be careful about the story we tell ourselves about what's going on mm-hmm. because so much demagoguery right. comes from them saying there is so much going on that you just don't know about right. and it's awful and I am here to rein it all in. Right. Or at least how I've seen that filter down into general thought is this last semester when I talked about ethics with my students and I would pose ethical dilemmas you know examples you know like one example would be you're a chemist who makes good money working for a company and you find out that your company has been developing chemical weapons or you know in some way your work is leading to ethically dubious military action like that sort of thing then the question is would you continue to work for them knowing that if you quit they would hire someone else and the work would keep going or would you quit on moral grounds like right. you know and all but maybe two of my students it was not even a dilemma really it was well if somebody else is going to make money i should be the one making money Ugh. and it was other examples like that where you could stand to benefit by taking part or you could give up the benefit not stop it like the system's going to keep going but you would be Doing an ethically right thing. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't participate in it. Over and over and over again. If they could benefit and somebody else would, it was like then they they started saying, Other people are going to do it. Why not me? And I'm like, this is just societal thinking. You know, and I think that's part of what the movie's doing. It's sort of seeing that ethical gymnastics as the extension of the power structures. Right. And yes, the power structures are to blame the way that, you know, those things are reinforced and power being the point rather than anything else, integrity or other people's well-being or anything. I actually don't think, I think Sicario is a little exempt from this because I think if you're actually watching the movie, I mean, in no way is it glorifying any of this. No. Um, it's a tragedy. It's that a tragedy. That paper it's a tragedy, you. and you are, you, if anything, you are just supposed to be kind of left grieving yeah. that this is the way things are. Right. I guess it's it, this is a movie that ends on despair. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to know what you should do 
with that. Mm-hmm. She moved to a small town where the rule of law still exists. You will not survive here. You're not a wolf. And this is the land of wolves now. Yeah, I mean, I guess what we're trying to figure out is, is the movie doing what it wanted to do well? And I would say yes. Oh, well, yeah, right. And we we kind of said at the beginning, filmmaking-wise, there's no question. Oh, no. Um, so maybe we should talk about that. And I feel like I have not gotten a handle on what Denis Villeneuve's thing is. So I have a hard time knowing what part of it is his sensibility versus Taylor Sheridan's versus Roger Deakins. Because visually roger deakins murders it it's such a variety you've got the like the sun-baked stuff which is great some of the some of the choices like when they fly to juarez and the choice of shot from underneath the airplane looking down and you see the tiny little shadow of the plane Mm -hmm. like flying across the ground is not only an interesting way to show them flying someplace but it gives you time to sit with the reality of the lie they just told and what they're about to go do like it feels it makes that it makes that traveling shot seem so much scarier than it would have been yeah and so you were asking what's Denis Villeneuve's thing and I think it's sitting with that yeah Uh, I mean you talk about tension Villeneuve has a way of shooting action with very little actual action yeah (laughs) and he knows how to pull together all these pieces to just craft something that just makes you lean in so far. Just so many of those aerial shots, but you've got Johan Johansson's score, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of like giving you a meter to follow as you're sitting in that. That's it. The top's clear. Bridge is one click out. Road is clear. I mean, that whole convoy sequence, Mm -hmm. it's like 13 minutes long. I mean, he's just such a good craftsman to where by the time they're in the traffic jam at the border crossing, it's just like, okay, yeah. now something's going to go down. Here. Right. And um, then when it does go down, it is realistically fast. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. It's not shown from different angles. It's mm-hmm. just like shown once. They're not like taking cover and no. like fighting. And it's just, yeah. And, you know, like similarly in the buildup to the raid of the tunnel, Mm-hmm. when we're with them the whole time they're walking, you know, it's not like they get dropped off and then yeah. they're at the tunnel. It's, it's a very long, and then to shoot that with the thermal cameras and the night vision right. was just... Yeah, and that's the other thing with, I think, Denis Villeneuve is he will always lean towards practical effects too. Mm-hmm. So that night vision stuff, like they actually had to shoot that in pitch black yeah. because it, that was real night That was a real thermal camera. <laughs> and real thermal cameras doing yeah. that. And I, and I feel like his way of filming really does make it so that you have these sequences that just stick with you way after the movie mm-hmm. is done. And where you maybe can't even remember a whole lot about that movie, like a movie like Arrival, right. where I'm just like, yeah, I, I kind of remember the gist of that movie, but there were a few scenes in there that really yeah. stick with me. Yeah. And uh, this was the same kind of thing with Dune right. as well, where the whole movie of Dune, you know, is kind of like... Um, if I since I haven't read it, I I, I don't really I don't remember know, who yeah, the characters right. were or why they were doing things. <laughs> but I can certainly remember moments where they were preparing for something. <laughs> just and maybe that's just his thing. Is like he's really good at letting you feel excited about preparation for something. <laughs> yeah, that might be it. Well, 
to me, it feels like our main question at the beginning, and I've said this before, was is it doing what it's doing well? Like un- undeniably, it's a well-made movie. Given everybody involved, it was bound to be. I for me, it this could go up like to four and a half for me. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm a lot after our conversation. I'm a lot more solid for just talking through, like you said, what what this movie's trying to do, um, which is no easy task. Right, making a movie that is about the war on drugs uh, in a way that is necessarily ambiguous about any heroes villains etc it's just all awful (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i i think it pulls off what it's trying to do really well i think especially given that when you look at how early on in the career of taylor sheridan and deniville knew this is first movie for taylor sheridan deniville knew have has done had done he didn't like uh three uh, three movies i think three like movies on sunday uh and then Prisoners and Enemy came out in the same year. And then he did Sicario, uh, Arrival. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Back to back three years. Yeah. Hell of a run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy run. Yeah. And also, I looked at her filmography, and I've seen a lot of Emily Blunt movies. But th- I think this is this is by far my favorite performance she's ever given. And um, really kind of put her more on my radar, Yeah, I think. I don't know how you feel about that. But well, she was, yeah, she was incredible. And yeah, I, I, I will, I mean, she wasn't not on my radar, but now, like you said, definitely a, a draw Yeah, now. So, I, you know, I would squarely keep this at four stars. Maybe even on a little bit more reflection, I could be with you and maybe raise it up to four and a half or consider doing that. Um, well, it's a, it's a successful gap year so far. Yeah. Really yeah, taking advantage of that. Really taking advantage of that gap here. One for one, one yeah. For one. And uh, so we'll talk about uh, our next, the next gap we're going to be uh, filling in, filling in, rectifying. Um, and this one comes with a guest, yeah, who re- suggested this movie to us. Right. I'm real excited about this next one. Real quick though, best buds, right? Best buds. We're good. Of course, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So next episode, what are we doing? We're well. I have I have less knowledge about this movie than i did sicario going in i felt like i knew nothing about sicario um i know diane lane's in it right yeah well we're, how about this so we you were saying we we're, we got a guest coming in yeah how about i just i mean uh our guest reached out to us on instagram yeah uh and she just sent us a message friend of ours friend of ours she says uh i'm just gonna read this she says have you guys watched under the tuscan sun I feel like it's still very influential even 20 years later, especially thinking of White Lotus Season 2 being so popular right now and set in Italy. Which we both loved. Loved White Lotus. Uh, both seasons, but Season 2 maybe even maybe, I def- maybe more? I definitely think I like Season 2 more. Yeah, I even, think I would go there too. And that doesn't diminish how much I love Season 1. Right. I don't know how much that relates to Under the Tuscan Sun. I don't either. Uh, but I know. certainly didn't think it would have. I don't know anything about it, so I'm excited to watch it. Um, you've kind of said that, especially just looking at like library checkouts. Yeah, this movie hasn't gone anywhere. No, this is for whatever reason a movie that I feel like a lot of people check out as kind of a comfort movie, mm-hmm. like an escapist kind mm-hmm. of like easygoing, like fun mm-hmm. comfort movie. Um, it has been in solid circulation in our library ever since it came out. Yeah, um, and so I do think it has had some kind of lasting power. I never saw it. You've never seen it. Rachel reached out to us. Mm-hmm. 
I'm assuming she really likes this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds so. like it. It's celebrating its, like she said, 20th anniversary yeah. this year. Yeah. I think the movie, the worst thing the movie did was come out at peak snobbery for me. Mm, what year was that? Well, that's probably not peak. 2003. It was mm. within two or three years of peak snobbery yeah. for me. I mean, also, I mean, we, w- we would have been like, I was like maybe in like early college. I was, a, yeah, it was the year I graduated high school. I think even without peak snobbery, it just wouldn't have been the movie that mm-hmm. I would have sought out Mm-mm. like in the theater. It'll be interesting to talk to Rachel and see like when she saw it. But that's because I don't know, know anything about it. Right, exactly. I remember thinking this when I came out. I think I thought that's a movie for my mom. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm very curious to watch it. Me too. Um, and so Rachel will be here to lend her expertise about her experience watching it, what yeah. she thinks of it. I'm very excited to get her on here and get some uh, insight into that. Definitely. She'll be our tour guide around oh, Tuscany. That's I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she'll show us the sights. Yep. Tell us uh, where, to avoid. where to avoid. Yeah. Maybe uh, make sure that we don't get lost or stranded. Yeah. Where to take a good photo. Yeah. That'll be important. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, you know, this This is a movie that probably a lot of listeners, maybe it's your, maybe this is a chance for you to fill in that gap as well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you've seen it yeah. quite a few times and we'd love to get your feedback, get your thoughts on it. Yeah. But to listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. That's actually how Rachel reached out to us. So right. we do look at that. Yeah. That is the proof. It's true. It's the evidence. It's <laughs> <Anyways>. the receipts. <laughs> Anyways, if you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast, you can call us at 847-306-9532, or you can always email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm